Uh, moving on, before we get into the teaching with a special uh, message today, uh, you know, we have mentioned much recently how God has been leading us these last three years towards covenant membership as a church. Uh, if you haven't been around the last six weeks or so, we'd encourage you to get online and listen to the This Church series, listen to the vision and mission statement teachings, as well as the final covenant membership teaching. And then there's some teachings of elders just sharing their hearts regarding this uh, agreement with one another to serve the Lord wholeheartedly and uh, make disciples together and be discipled together. Um, you know, we've, we've been teaching much on this. And at the target of our direction of membership is the church's vision statement, uh, which we've written on the back wall there. And maybe some of you have it memorized, but that we exist to make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. That is our purpose statement. That is our vision statement. That is why we exist as a church. And then coupled with the vision statement is a means by which we can attain such a lofty purpose. Uh, it's found in our mission statement, which reads, As redeemed followers of Jesus Christ... The members of Calvary Chapel of Crook County regularly gather under the authoritative Christ-centered word and in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may purposefully love God and each other while boldly evangelizing the world as the truth of the gospel defines who we are and how we live. Now, remarkably, at the same time that God is leading us in this direction, God was validating our vision by transforming the missionary culture in our church, answering our prayers and our fastings and our waiting on him, bringing about an incredible climate change nearly overnight. He changed our hearts for the nations. He opened doors for partnership with the unreached and unengaged people groups in Nepal. Our connection to that open door will be here next week speaking and meeting with us. He brought a family into our church and community who was looking to partner with our church, this church, who has a passion for the unreached, so that they might be sent out to the unreached Muslim people in Senegal. And after spending much close time with them, we sent them out to Africa. In the midst of all of this, God was working something else that would solidify and give demonstration to the mighty work of the Spirit in this body. For that same two and a half years, Calvary Chapel in Lapine has been without a lead pastor. Though they have faithful overseers who tend to the body throughout the week, they have had a gap in leadership as no one has felt called, qualified, or equipped to teach and preach the word of God. A group consisting of men from Calvary Chapel Bend and four out of five of our elders would rotate regularly on a teaching schedule of which nearly every two to three weeks we would be missing an elder from here for the ministry of the word of God in this little town. All of this time, each elder found his heart becoming knit closer and closer with the body and the people in the church in Lapine. However, after two and a half years of this rotation with no change of pattern in sight, and with all that God had been teaching us here about, church, about the local church, about his church design and the necessity for solid elders, pastors, and teachers within that local group, we felt, as Paul told Titus, that something was lacking, and perhaps we weren't helping Lapine as well as we could. Perhaps we weren't stewarding our elder time as well as we might. The question arose, 
are we helping in the most efficient manner? As we were asking this question, I felt the Lord lay upon my heart that we have five gifted, qualified elders here. And do we just plan on keeping it just us five forever and just always staying bound together? Or are we actually going to live out the vision that we've been declaring to you? And I felt the Holy Spirit impress upon my heart that, that we are to send somebody out to Lapine. One of us five to go and to be the lead pastor. We were meeting at my house one of the Thursday nights and it led to a discussion that each of us tangibly felt the Holy Spirit move, moving us towards fasting and prayer regarding sending somebody out. During this meeting, I happened to go outside to let my dog out and I was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit at what historic moment was happening at my house as the Holy Spirit was prepping the ground to send somebody out from our church to be a pastor. Each of us, as I went inside, felt the Lord moving in an incredible way and there was no doubt we were to spend some serious devoted time in concentrated prayer and fasting. And so we committed to wait on the Lord and to set a day, believing that God would speak to us as to who he would send out to minister in Lapine. In this prayer time, every one of us elders, myself included, laid our lives before the Lord as a blank check saying, Lord, if it's me, send me. Believing in our vision statement that we exist to make disciples, to send them out and to be sent out. Now, I believe that the Lord was speaking to me early on who it was. So I set aside an extra day of prayer and fasting so that I could be even more sure. And so the day came. It was a Wednesday. We prayed and fasted individually that day. We came to our Wednesday night gathering, and then we met uh, immediately afterwards. As we got into the room, we all kind of sat there kind of like, well, who is it? And as we went around the room, nobody was necessarily chomping at the bit to just go move and experience life in Lapine, you know. That wasn't necessarily what happened. But as we recalled the Holy Spirit's impression upon our heart, as we recalled the vision that we had gleaned from the scriptures, we knew that it was one of us. And so we went around the room and each one shared whether or not they felt the Lord saying, hey, it's you or no, it's not you. And it just seemed for practical matters, just, you know, I just don't think it's me. I just don't think it's me. I just don't think it's me. And then one elder spoke up and said, for me, it's not so much why would I go, but why wouldn't I go? I'm called. I aspire to this. I feel a calling on my life to be a lead pastor. And I felt that for quite some time. Why wouldn't I go? And if this is our vision as a church, we would be neglecting the call upon our lives to just stay here. And after he said that, I said, Chad, I agree. And I nominate you, buddy. I shared with Chad face to face and, and, and with the men in the room. I said, you know, we learned at the David Platt conference that in our mission, we aren't to be afraid to send out our best. And I just shared with Chad how, you know, he's one of the longest serving elders that we've had here at this church. He's been here longer than me. Uh, he's an incredible teacher. He's an incredible shepherd. Uh, you know, we've gone through uh, teaching 
uh, seminary classes on Christ-centered preaching, and, and we've learned together. I'm confident, uh, we're confident in just his preaching abilities to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. You know, as I listen to him, if I'm gone, I'll listen online, and I just am always so blessed by the, by the messages I hear online. And, uh, and I remember a time in, in the ministry to Lapine that he helped walk through with the body a very difficult situation, a, a frustrating situation. And, and I was just thinking, man, you're already a shepherd to these people. You're already a, a, a pastor to them. And as I shared this, there was again a tangible feeling of the presence of the Holy Spirit, just as there was in Acts chapter 13, as the men ministered to the Lord with prayer and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, separate for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work of the ministry. And we believe that that's what happened that night, that the Holy Spirit just fell upon us, and every elder said, I concur, I agree, it is you, Chad. And so we all just rejoiced, and we were like, we can't believe what we're being a part of here in this room. And so we surrounded him and kind of prophetically laid hands on him and just in faith said, we're sending you out, Chad. Now in that, there's like a whole bunch of other doors that need to be open and there's a whole bunch of other hearts that need to confirm that and concur with that. Uh, In our meeting, we shared, well, what do you think your family would think, Chad? And you know, you've got uh, just such an involved family in the community and your daughters are all in athletics and and man, we just need to pray. That if it's the Lord, he would open up the doors. And Chad's going to share a little bit later about how his family came to be on board with this vision and for there to be an open door. Uh, You know, Terry from Calvary Chapel Bend has been kind of facilitating this group of eight men that go preach. And and he's on the board in Lapine. And so, man, I just, of course, would want Terry to be on board with that. Uh, and so cool to see over time that uh, Terry was just uh, behind it and sees that this is the Lord. Uh, the Lapine crew and their elders, uh, after sharing the vision, they went to pray. And about a week and a half ago, they uh, met with Chad and they, uh, or they met uh, as a board and then called Chad and said, Chad, we believe that this is the Lord. It's an open door. It's a go. Will you come and move to Lapine and pastor the church here? And so the God who opens doors, as we've been learning in this last year, has opened up a door for us to send out Chad towards a regional ministry in the town of Lapine. You know, as we've been preaching this, as we've been sharing the vision of this church and the mission of this church, this is us putting our people where our mouth is, putting our money where our mouth is. In fact, we're planning on supporting Chad, uh, financially throughout at least the first year there as a church to just say, hey, we are sending out, we are a part actively of this ministry with this sister church in Lapine. And so this is just a little bit of just the beginning of what God is doing through uh, just this, uh, this work here of the Holy Spirit as we exist to make disciples in this city and regionally and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel for the glory of God. So Chad's going to come on up and he's going to share a little bit more just uh, how the Lord brought him to this point and, and some scriptures uh, that would be an encouragement for us for this portion of our vision statement sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel. Can I give a little... Nope. Don't clap for me, I'm just a man. But, uh, but praise the Lord. Praise the Lord who... Uh put all this together and orchestrated every part of it. Uh, you know, one, th- one thing that we're going to say is that the, the night that this all came together, <clears throat> uh, 
was the night that we wrote the vision statement that's painted on the back wall. And just, it was cool. I don't know how else to say it, just to say that it was, it was cool. Um, I don't know how many revisions that we had of, of, you know, what we ended up with, but, you know, probably 15 revisions and rewording, oh, I want to say this, and what about that, and oh, we need to include this, and, and so we, we came up with that, and after we wrote that, we're, we're sitting around the kitchen table, and all of a sudden, I think it was Blaine that said, what if, what if we sent somebody to Lapine? And, like, it just got real quiet, and it was like this, oh, that would be cool, but somebody's got to leave, and that kind of sucks. And <laughs> just it was this kind of heavy, like it was exciting, but it was heavy at the same time. And uh, it, it was really neat. But, but one of the things that we talked about is that, you know, if, if, we're, if we're calling you to be sent out to embody and to proclaim the gospel anywhere and everywhere, that it has to start with us, and we have to lead in that. If we're going to call you to that, we have to do it. And that's the exciting part about this is that, that as we're calling you to this, we're, we're doing it and, and asking you to, to do the same thing, to not necessarily go to Lapine. I mean, if you want to, we'll talk later, but uh, just to, to go, right, to be, to be sent out, and, and I'm serious about that, <laughs> but to be sent out into the world to embody and to proclaim the gospel. That's how much we believe in that. And so those aren't, those aren't just hollow, empty words painted on a back wall. We, we believe in this so much so that all of us said, I'm, I'm willing. And if you guys all say that it's me, then, then I'll, I'll submit to you guys and I'll go. And it was a beautiful thing. And so I, I want to teach a little bit today. But before I get into that, I just want to just talk to you a little bit about the, the process and just, you know, just kind of some cool things with our family and some doors that, that opened uh, in all of this. And so, um, you know, after... So I talked to Jill about it, and we kind of got on board with it, and we decided that we would have a family meeting and pull the kids in and just present the idea to them. You know, not sure how that was going to go. I kind of anticipated, you know, some tears and, you know, emotions and, and that kind of a thing, and there was that uh, a little bit. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily for the purpose of, like, okay, we're going to put this to a vote and, you know, majority rules. It wasn't that, but just, you know, want everybody to be on board with, you know, where God is leading uh, our family, where God is leading our church, and so one night in our living room, we just sat down with the girls and said, "Hey, what do you what do you think about this?" And and I remember Grace was the first one to speak up, and I expected her to kind of freak out about this, but <laughs> she just said, "Dad, you know what? If if this is what God is calling us to do, then we need to obey God, and if we do, it's going to draw us closer together as a family. <clears throat> it's going to make make us closer to God." And it was really cool. We just began to talk to the girls, and it's like, okay, well, you know, what, what's holding us back? And we had a pretty big list going of, you know, when we grew up here, and Nana and Papa live here, and our friends are, you know, all these things. And, you know, those things are on my list too, but they're just, you know, articulating these things of like, why don't we want to, why would we stay? And, and I just looked at the, at the family and just said, if, this is, if these things are true, like, why would we even consider this? And, like, almost in unison, they all three just said, to make disciples of the people in Lapine. And it just was this, this special evening as a family where we collectively got to wrestle with, not my will, but yours. And so it was cool. And I just, you know, part of the, part of the door swinging wide open was that. And, you know, I just kind of thought like, okay, whatever happens from here, like this is cool. This is good. And so, you know, whatever, you know, other doors open, other doors close, you know, whatever. This is, this is good to do this and so 
just excited about that, excited for what God is doing. We have a lot of logistics to work out, and so uh, I kind of forgot to mention this first service, and a lot of people asked at the end. So we don't really have a time frame yet. Uh, you know, a couple big things that we have to figure out is how we're going to eat, where we're going to sleep. Um, and so it's going to take a little bit of time just to work out some of those logistics. And so, um, so I don't know. You know, don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it'd be nice to probably move before there's eight feet of snow in Lapine, but we'll see what happens and see how things unfold and just see see what God does. But uh, just, you know, not only, you know, excited for my family, but just excited for the season in our church because I think that there's flesh being put to the gospel in a lot of ways, not not just this, but in other ways. And and I, my, my hope today is that, you know, not, not, that, not that a man would be exalted, but that God would be praised. Uh, and my hope today is that, that we would all leave here just encouraged and excited and even challenged and convicted with, you know, what, what really matters in life, what really matters in life. Because sometimes I think we, we make things matter that don't necessarily need to matter all that much. And so that's my hope today is that you'll walk away from here uh, convicted and challenged and encouraged and excited. Um, if you want to turn to John 20 and just uh, put a finger there, I'm gonna, I want to just uh, read for you guys and summarize for you guys just a, a handful of uh, stories throughout some of the gospel accounts, uh, and then I want to kind of bring it all together and bring some context to it. So because I'm going to be jumping around, I don't expect you guys to, to jump around and, and try to keep up. Um, but before we do that, let me, let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll get into the word. God, so thankful for today, and thankful uh, just for your grace in our lives. And God, thankful that, uh, that you redeem broken sinners. God, thankful that you love your people uh, so much, God, that you would make provision for us and that you would be mindful of us. God, I just pray today that you would speak to our hearts God, that you would convict us in areas that we need to be convicted in, and God, that we would walk away from here uh, just feeling charged by the message of the gospel, and we just ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one thing I want to share real quick, too, before we get into teaching is I had the opportunity last Saturday to, uh, to go down to Lapine and, and meet with uh, just some of the men in the church uh, for their um, morning men's meeting, and one thing, I've been a night owl my whole life, and uh, these guys wanted to meet at 7 o'clock in the morning, which means I had to leave here at 5.30, <laughs> and I realized, like, I'm going to have to become a morning person, probably, for these guys, <laughs> but it just was a, it was a really neat, uh, a neat time, and, and a couple of the guys, you know, just had some, some things to share, and just shared their excitement, and, uh, but one of the guys, his name is Mike, and it's, you know, the, the, most of the folks are like, if you're, if you're in your 50s, you're pretty young there, and if you're in your 60s, you're still pretty young, you know, just a lot of, a lot of older folks and, and, you know, retirees and just a really cool group of people. But this one guy, Mike, he walks around with a cane and he, he's hunched over, like he just can't even stand up straight. And it's just, a, I think, a challenge for him just to, to get around. And he, uh, he stands up during this meeting and, and he starts to cry and he just says, you know, I've lived in Lapine for a long time and I just, I see broken people everywhere. I see people just in bondage to their sin and and broken because of it, and he says, "I was like, I want to love these people, and as a church, we want to love these people, but I don't know how." He just looked at me, and he's like, "Can you help us love our community?" You know, just as he's fighting back tears, you know, and I don't know how old of a guy he is; he's probably in his seventies, and just is asking, "Help me to love my community." And another guy, Steve, who 
Uh, he works with veterans a lot, and he said the same thing. He's just like, I see brokenness everywhere I go, and I see broken people, uh, and, and I just don't know, I don't know how to love them. And he's like, we, we spend a lot of time here talking about loving our community, but we just don't know how, and we just realize that we need help, so please help. And I just was really impacted by that of, you know, you, usually, like, like sometimes it's hard to, to get people into this frame of mind of, you know, just to even love their community. Uh, and for these guys, like, their frame of mind is already there, and they're just like, just, just point us in the right direction, you know, kind of a thing. And so <clears throat> I think we have a need, not, not only do I have a need opportunity, but I think we have a need opportunity because we have a relationship with our sister church in Lapine that's been in place for two and a half years. And, you know, in moving forward, I would hope to see that strengthened, and I would hope to see that deepened. And, and I don't know exactly what that would look like, but I think we as a fellowship have a really neat opportunity to pour into a group of people who are asking for help. And so that, that's going to take, you know, more than just me and my family. It's going to take you and your families. And so, like I said, I don't know how that's going to play out or what it's going to look like. But uh, we'll just ask for you guys to prayerfully consider what that might look like for you. What that might look like for us collectively. I want to... Just read through a few stories here as you have your finger in John 20. In uh, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has this encounter with a couple of blind guys. And just a few verses that I'm going to read here. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on a son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away, and they spread his fame through all of the district. Just a short little encounter. Jesus healed, healed a couple of blind guys. These people literally, for the first time, they, they saw, physically saw Jesus, but they, they had this encounter, they had this experience with Jesus. And after they encountered Jesus, I love what it says. It says that they went away and spread his fame through the district. And I hope, I hope as we kind of just quickly go through a few of these stories that you're going to see a pattern that emerges out of here, but... We see these men that experience Jesus and they immediately respond by spreading his fame throughout the district. I'm going to move to Luke chapter 8. I won't read the whole story because it's quite long, but, but Jesus heals a man with a demon. And maybe some of you guys know the story. There's this man, he's kind of the crazy guy of the town. Everybody's afraid of him, and he has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus sends this demon out of him into a herd of pigs, right? And this man was, was completely changed. In Luke chapter 8, verse 34, it says this, When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. <clears throat> then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart, for they were seized with great fear. So he got on the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged 
that he might go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So this man encounters Jesus. And immediately upon this encounter, Jesus told him to go and declare how much God has done for you. And we see that he simply did that. He just went. Said He proclaimed throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And you see the crowd in this too. The people that were witness to this, they saw it happen and they did the same thing. They went and told other people, hey, guess what Jesus did to this guy? They went and they proclaimed. In John chapter 4, skipping ahead, some of you may be familiar with the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who Jesus encountered. Jews and Samaritans, culturally, it, was, it wasn't good that they would talk. It wasn't good that Jesus as a Jew would even be in Samaria, let alone talk to a Samaritan and let alone a Samaritan woman. It just wasn't culturally acceptable. And Jesus sat down and had a conversation with this woman at the well. And he talks to her about living water. And she offers him water from the well. And Jesus is telling her, hey, you don't get what I'm saying here. I, I'm, I'll give you living water that you'll, and you'll never thirst again after you drink this. And <clears throat> long story short, she realizes who Jesus is. She realizes who Jesus is. <clears throat> and she immediately goes into town. And she tells people, and, and, and this lady was probably an outcast of society. Right? We know from her story that she'd been married multiple times and she was with a man who wasn't even her husband. So you can imagine how society may have looked at this woman. And she has this encounter with Jesus and she goes into town and she tells people, I met a guy. I met a guy who told me everything about me. Could this guy be the Christ? Could this guy be the Messiah? So again, we see a woman who has an encounter with Jesus and her immediate response is like, I got to go tell people about this. And, and what I love about some of these stories is that we don't even know who these people are. We don't know their names. And, and I intentionally chose some of these because I think sometimes it's easy for us to think that it's only the, the super Christians that, that go and do things like this. But these are ordinary people, and even in some cases, people who are the outcasts of society, and they just simply encounter Jesus, and they have to go talk about it. In John chapter 5, we see Jesus encounter uh, a lame man. And this man, it says, was lame for 38 years, and he sat at this pool every day. Presumably, somebody probably had to take him there. And it was thought that if he could just get in the pool, maybe it was some sort of hot spring or something like that, I don't know, but it was thought that if he could just get in the water when the waters are stirred up, that maybe he could be healed. And this guy came here every day, and he just had one hope in life. It's like, if I could just get in the water, if I could just be healed of my infirmity. And and so Jesus comes up to this guy, and he says, do you want to be healed? The creator of the universe asks this man, do you want to be healed? And the man looks at Jesus in chapter 5, verse 7, and he said, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. In other words, Jesus, who has all of the power to heal him, asks him, do you want to be healed? And he says, 
yeah, if I could just get in the water. Because he didn't, he didn't recognize Jesus. He didn't see Jesus for who he was. And so Jesus, in a way to open up this guy's eyes, the eyes of his heart, he says, get up your bed and walk. And verse 9 says that at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. And what does this man do? He goes and tells. He talks to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were all in a bunch because this happened on the Sabbath and, oh my gosh, you can't do these kinds of things on the Sabbath. And so they're wanting to find Jesus and interrogate him. And the man still at this point didn't even realize that it was Jesus. But he, after all of this kind of died down a little bit, Jesus finds the guy and he reveals himself to him. And in verse 15, it says that the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So here's another just no-name guy. Had an encounter with Jesus. And upon this encounter, he just had to go tell people who Jesus was. Let me connect some dots here for you in in these stories. There's a correlation here between seeing and believing and going and telling. The, these people, again, whose names we don't even know, just ordinary ordinary people, probably the lowly people of society, they encounter Jesus. And after their encounter with Jesus, after they see Jesus, and after they believe who Jesus is, they can't help but to go and to tell. John 20, if you're there. I'm just going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And that's just John's tricky way of referring to himself. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. In other words, John is saying, I beat Peter. I got there first. I was, I was laughed at that. <laughs> Verse 5, and stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John reminding us again that he was the fastest, also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead, and the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that she had seen, that she had said, that he had said these things to her. 
So you see John and Peter and you see Mary. I'm talking about Mary here for just a moment. She sees Jesus. She sees this guy who she doesn't realize is Jesus. And when Jesus called her by name, he said, Mary. And she responded by saying, Rabbani. She, she immediately knew who he was. Her eyes were open. She knew that it was Jesus. And what is it that Jesus told her to do? He said, go. Go and tell the disciples. And what did Mary do? She went. She went and told the disciples. <clears throat> and what did she say to them? She says, I've seen the Lord. People who see and people who believe naturally, <clears throat> excuse me, naturally go and tell. And we see this with Mary. We see this with John. John got to the tomb and he looked in and it says that he saw and he believed. At the end of chapter 20 and verse 30, John tells us, he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John saw and John believed. And then he tells us the reason that he's written this book, the reason that he's written his gospel, the reason that he's written his account of the good news is so that you and I might see and we might believe. So that we would have life in Jesus' name. And so there's this connection of seeing and believing and going and telling so that other people would see and believe and go and tell so that more people would see and believe and go and tell. And I'm just simply standing here today saying that my family, we've seen and we've believed. And because we've seen and we've believed, we're compelled to go and to tell. And we, we see this pattern throughout the Bible. Read the book of Acts, and that's what the whole book of Acts is about. It's about people who have seen and believed, and about people who have gone and who have told so that more people would see and believe and more people would go and tell and more people would see and believe and more people would go and would tell. In 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us that this is God's plan. It says that it's God's plan that he would make his plea or his appeal, depending on your translation, through us, in other words, through those who have been reconciled to God, through those who have seen and those who have believed. So this isn't some kind of extracurricular activity for the super faithful, but we see that it's God's design that this happen. Second Corinthians 5 says that we've been reconciled to God in our brokenness and in our sinfulness, that God has redeemed us and he has reconciled us to him and as those who have experienced the privilege of being reconciled to God have this implicit duty of spreading the message of reconciliation to broken and sinful people. And what that would tell us is that if you've seen and that you've believed then you should go and you should tell. 2 Corinthians 5 also tells us that we're ambassadors for Christ. And so it's inherent within Christianity that this is just how we live. And so what, what does it look like to go? Well, it looks like a lot of things. 
Right? We have a group of people that are going to hop on a plane in a few months and they're going to go across an ocean. And they're going to tell people. And hopefully many people will see and believe as a result of that. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it just tells us simply to go and to make disciples of all nations. And it says to teach them to obey all that God has commanded. And that word go doesn't necessarily or exclusively mean go way over there. Maybe a better way to translate that would be as you are going. In other words, as you're living your life, as you, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you engage your neighbors, as you do whatever it is that you do, you would make disciples and teach people to obey all that God has commanded. So for me and my family, that, that means as we go to Lapine. For you and your family, that, that might mean something different. It might mean as you walk across the street and introduce yourself to your neighbor. <clears throat> For some of you, that might mean as you, as you go to work day in and day out. For some of you, that, that might mean uprooting your lives and moving down the road. For some of you, that might mean hopping on a plane and crossing a border or crossing an ocean. I don't think the point so much is where we go as much as it is, is that we go. And part of what we're doing here, part of the DNA that we're trying to build into our church here is that we would be a church that sends people wherever that goes. Right? Jesus in Acts chapter 1 says that, that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And I think it's around Acts chapter 14 or 15. Paul gets to come back after his second missionary journey and he gets to tell the guys, guess what? I went to Jerusalem, and then I went to Judea, and then I went to Samaria, and I've been all over the world proclaiming the gospel. And so not only do we want to be a, a fellowship that, that sends people, but we want a fellowship of people who say, send me, wherever that is. And my hope today is that some of you, maybe many of you, maybe all of you would consider, God, where, where would you send me? And if that's across the street, that's, that's great. And if maybe for a family or two that might be down the road to Lapine with us, that would be great as well. And if for some of you it might mean something else, that, that's great too. The, the point is, we want to send and be sent into the world to embody and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God because it's what we see in scripture it's what we see lived out in scripture when you see Jesus and you believe Jesus then you're compelled to go and to tell and there, there's a correlation between that in John 17 Jesus prays for his disciples as he's heading to the cross I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's a long chapter, but Jesus prays a lot of things in this. But one of the things that he says in John 17, 18, speaking to his father, he says, As you have sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. 
And by them, that, that's inclusive of you and me. That's not just inclusive of the guys that hung out specifically with Jesus. That's by extension inclusive of us who are here today. God the Father sent Jesus, his son, into the world for a purpose. To redeem broken sinners and reconcile them to a holy God. And Jesus, by extension, says, if that's you, just know that you're sent into the world to deliver that same message. Because there's people all around us, broken and sinful, who need to hear that message and who need to know in your brokenness, in your sinfulness, that you can be reconciled to a holy God. And the Bible shows us that for those that see and believe that, that they can't help but live life in a manner that's, i got to go and tell about this. This becomes paramount in my life, and everything I do is a means to that end. So I, I want to challenge you guys today with that. I want to, hopefully, God is convicting you in that, that how is it that I, as someone who professes that I've seen and believed, how is it that I can go and tell? What does that look like for me? Like I said, it might look a little bit different for everybody, and that's okay. But have you ever asked yourself the question, where should I go and who can I tell? And for some of us, we don't have to go very far. For some of us, God, God may, may call to go a distance. I don't know. I would love nothing more than, you know, if there were some of you guys that said, hey, we want to pray about going to Lapine too. That would be okay with me. And I think it fits in with where God is taking our church. Like I said, those words are not just empty words painted on a wall that sound good. They have meaning. So, so much so that we're devoting our lives to that. And we're calling you to do the same. And that should be the call of every Christian everywhere. That if you see and you believe that you naturally go and you tell, or supernaturally that you go and you tell. And God equips his people to do that. And you, you see that throughout the book of Acts. We see it in the, the story of Peter, when, when God sends him to the house of Cornelius, maybe you know the story. Peter had a dream and God tells him to go, to go meet this man Cornelius. And simultaneously God was working on the other side of it like Rory talked about. God was working on Cornelius and his family and God tells Peter to go and he goes. And he proclaims the gospel to Cornelius and his family, and the result is that Cornelius and his family come to faith. We could, we could spend all day just you know sharing example after example in the book of Acts, and time isn't going to permit us to do so, but if you've read any part of Acts, you see this unfolding and you see it playing out. And so I'm, I'm going to end here just in a quick second, but I don't want to end without just making the call to you, the fellowship, that if you would say that you've seen and you've believed, then where would God send you to go and to tell? 
whether it would be places that you already are or whether, whether it would be somewhere new and somewhere different. If you profess Christ, if you've seen Jesus and you believe Jesus, where would you go and where and who would you tell about Jesus? Because there's nothing more important in life. Nothing at all. So I just want to end with that and leave you, leave you with that thought and, and just ask you all that, that we would just collectively, prayerfully consider that if we've seen and we've believed that where would God send us and who would we tell? Let me pray for us. God, grateful. Grateful that the mission that you have put before us doesn't depend upon us. God, thankful that that you're the one that calls, that you're the one that sends, God, that you're the one that equips. God, you're the one that prepares people here and there and everywhere in between. And thankful that you grant us faith that allows us to trust in you as we simply just try to live life in obedience to you the best that we can. And God, I would just ask today uh, for all of us God, that we would be stirred, that we would be convicted, that we would be challenged, that we would be excited about where you might lead us in life and that we would be willing to follow you. I'm thankful for what you're doing in our fellowship here at Calvary Chapel of Crook County. and I'm thankful for faithful people, thankful for people whose lives have been changed. God, use us to go and to tell so that other people may have life.